Well, please open with me to Romans chapter 8. As you go there, how many of you had at one point in your career had to create a resume? A resume, right? It's this probably a one-page document that you put together that has your background, your sets of skills, and uh, various accomplishments, right? Um, You put basically on your resume anything that you think would qualify you for the uh, position that you're applying for. And uh, usually after you list all of your education, uh, after you list all your employment history, there's usually a section in there somewhere towards the end with skills and accomplishments, right? You list what you're good at. And, and usually we're told to think of one or two, maybe a few differentiating um, things that, that, that really set you apart from everyone else. Like think of everybody who could possibly be applying for this job and think about two key items that would separate you from the rest. And so what we usually do is we, you know, we list things like natural leader, you know, usually when you pull up any resume that would have, you know, it'll be there in that section, natural leader or able to solve problems, right? Calm under pressure, just like this generic stuff, right? Great communicator. Or if you were filling one out a while back, you would probably find yourself putting something like, you know, possesses the mastery of Microsoft Word and Excel, all right? That goes way back. And, and we write these things thinking that perhaps if our work experience and, and level of education is not enough to, to tip the bar, right, in our favor, perhaps maybe one of these skills will be the differentiating mark that they would select you as opposed to the next person. And I don't know if you've thought about the same question regarding life, regarding your Christian life. Have you ever asked yourself, what is the ultimate difference? What what makes the ultimate difference? Or maybe who makes the ultimate difference? Who sets you apart from the rest? In the verses here in Romans chapter 8, which we have looked at last week, Uh, Paul introduces this basic contrast between two types of groups, two types of people who live in this world. He says that there are those who are according to the flesh and those who are according to the spirit. There is, as we found out last Sunday, there is no third group. There is no neutral ground. You either have one mindset or the other. You either have one nature or the other. You either have one type of relationship or another, one experience or another. There is no third group. And so then the question comes up, what sets them apart? And Paul here in verses 9 through 11, as we will look at, he gives us this answer. Now, if you um, haven't noticed already, Romans chapter 8 the theme of Romans chapter 8 is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit permeates almost every verse in this section, the Holy Spirit. Up until this point here, there are only three mentions or three references to the Holy Spirit in the entire book of Romans. 
The first reference is sort of like a passing reference in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, where Paul references the Holy Spirit as the spirit of holiness. And then the, the second one describes the circumcision of the heart that is accomplished by the Spirit in 2.29. And then the third describes the Holy Spirit as pouring out the love of God within our hearts. The love of God is seen in the pouring out of His Spirit in us. And now in Romans chapter 8, Paul mentions this Holy Spirit 19 times. 19 times. Why? Friends, because what Paul is talking about here, the Holy Spirit is the difference maker. Ultimately, it is only because of the Spirit that Paul can talk about these Christians transitioning from one category to another, possessing the second kind of nature as opposed to their natural nature. Having this divine experience With the holy God, there's only one reason and one reason alone. It is because of the work of the Spirit. I want us to read beginning with verse 5 of chapter 8. We'll read through verse 13, and I want us to look at the work of the Spirit here, what he does in the believer and to the believer. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through, the, through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. As we kind of gather our thoughts here around these three verses, verses 9, 10, and 11, only we'll look at the next set of verses next time. I want us to think about this uh, theme or this big idea. The believer in Christ is sustained by the Spirit through sin and death. The believer in Christ is sustained by the Spirit through sin and death. In other words, the Spirit of Christ, he resides in, he renovates, and he resurrects all those who belong to Jesus. The the Spirit is the difference maker. The Spirit is the difference maker. He is the one who sustains us through life, this life, and into the next. And Paul explains this sustaining work of the Spirit that happens to, friends, every single believer. There are no two types of believer. There is a believer and an unbeliever. That's it. And every believer has this work of the Spirit in him. I want us to look at three things. Number one, 
The Spirit sustains you by residing in you. That's first. The Spirit sustains you by residing in you. Then the Spirit sustains you by renovating you. And the third aspect is the Spirit sustains you by resurrecting you. Residing, renovating, and resurrecting. Number one, the Spirit sustains you by, res- uh, by residing in you. We came to America in 1997. And about a year or so after that, my parents bought their first house. Over time, we've uh, renovated that house. I mean, basically everything. We added to the house. We replaced windows and doors and, and roof. We repainted the exterior of the house. We, uh, we totally redid the front yard. We put like brick walkways and planters. We brought in huge palm trees that we planted. I mean, we did a lot of work to that house, labored many years over it. But as we grew up, got married, kids moved out of the house, parents sold that house. And so for the next few years, as I'm driving by, I would often pass by the house, and I would uh, usually pass by on Elkhorn, and there's a little street there, and I would kind of look over it, and I would see my house. I would see our house. And, And so I would go often, and by looking at the house, I would think, whatever happened to our place? What happened to our house? I mean, the new owner came in, chopped down some of the trees we planted, moved out the front fence so that it covers half of the front yard, not the way we liked it to be. He installed a rolling gate instead of the swinging gate that we had on the side. And I am wondering, that is my house, how dare they make all these changes, right? They repainted the place. But in reality, friends, right, this is no longer my house. It does not belong to me. Actually, it never belonged to me. It belonged to my parents. But I'm thinking, what are they doing to the place that belonged to us? But reality is the new owner had moved in. And the new owner has some ideas and thoughts that are radically different from us. And they began the renovating process however they wanted to. We have no authority to go in and prohibit them from doing what they want to do. And friends, this is similar to what Paul says happens to us when we become believers. When this sale transaction is finalized, when we are purchased out of our sin, and when we are transferred into the kingdom of the Son of Christ, Christ dwells in our hearts through his spirit. And notice what he says in verse 9. However, however, you are not in the flesh. However, you are not in the flesh. Up until this point, he's been using this third-person generic language, like those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit, those who set their minds. Like, Like there is this group of people, right? But then he turns around and he's facing his readers, so to speak, and he says, but you are not like them. Second person, you are not in the flesh but you are in the spirit. He is writing to those in in chapter one, verse seven, who are beloved of God in Rome called saints. Therefore, he says, you are not in the flesh precisely because the spirit of God dwells in you. 
Think about this. Paul assumes that his readers really do belong to Christ. And he is trying to explain this this difference that their new identification with Jesus has made today and will continue to make into the future. And the first thing that he wants them to know is that, listen, you are different because you have the spirit. Christians no longer exist in this realm of the flesh, being subjected to the principles and the dominion of sin because of the difference maker, the spirit who dwells in you or in them. There is something, Paul says, that had already happened to them. And that is the spirit moved in. The spirit moved in. Now, look with me at verse nine again in your Bibles. And he says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. This, this word if, right? in the middle of the first part of verse nine is really a statement of assurance, not doubt. And and it is meant to be read since in fact, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So it's meant to assure these believers, if you profess Christ, if you believe in Christ, then his spirit is in you. So the way that you know you're living in the realm of the spirit is that the spirit dwells. What does that mean that he dwells? At least three times or four times here, he uses the same word. The spirit dwells in you, verse 9. Look at verse 11. Dwells in you, middle of the verse, and at the end of the verse, dwells in you. To dwell. To to dwell means to just move in and to make a permanent residence, to, to live in a house, or to make one's home. Like you bought the place and you moved in and now you're like, this is it. This is my place and I get to do what I want with it. That is what it means to dwell. In other words, the spirit who is in you is at home in you. And in verse 10 and following, Paul is going to show what it looks like to have the spirit in us. But for now, all he wants us to see is just all believers in Christ possess the spirit. And he emphasizes this point so much so that he restates in the negative what he just said in the positive. But at the end of verse eight, nine, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. All of God's children possess his spirit. That is the entire point here. How do you get the spirit? Well, you might recall in, in the gospel of John, all regret for us, John 16, but A couple chapters prior to that, John 14, Jesus is uh, conversing with his disciples and and he's trying to encourage them. He's comforting his disciples before he goes to the cross. And and in 14, 16 and following, we read this. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Did you catch that? Jesus said that once he goes up to the father, he will send them a helper. Who is this helper? Well, it's the spirit of truth who will be not just with you, but he will be in you. And that is very important. He will be in you. And then in verse 18, Jesus adds this. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And we might immediately think of Christ's second coming. Well, Jesus is coming back, absolutely, right? We're waiting for him now. But in the context, that's not what he means. He says that I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How? He will come to them by sending the Holy Spirit to them. And in the Spirit, Christ himself becomes theirs. That's why in in verse 10 here of Romans chapter 8, Paul can put it like this, if Christ is in you, right? He he was just teaching and, and writing that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is in you, but then he turns around and he says in verse 10, if Christ is in you, Christ resides in every believer. The way Christ dwells in every believer is through the Spirit dwelling in them. Notice the the language that Paul uses here. First, in verse 9, he says, it is the Spirit of God who dwells you. And then he switches and he says in the end of verse 9, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. And then in verse 11, he will go on to say, but if, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, if the Spirit of Father The entire trinity is involved in this dwelling, in this process. The spirit is of Christ. He's also of God. When do you get the spirit? When do you get the spirit? Well, the gift of the spirit, friends, is a universal blessing for all who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. It is given to you at the moment of your salvation, at the moment of your faith. That's when you receive it. In Ephesians chapter one, for instance, Paul writes in verse 13, he says, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Beloved, all of you who believe in Jesus Christ, have the spirit of Christ. Everybody. He has moved in and he resides. And so, contrary to some of those who teach, you, you don't need to be seeking another, another experience, right? The this, this second baptism of the spirit to get more of the spirit. Friends, he's either in or he's out. And scripture is very clear. You either have the spirit or you don't. You don't have more of a person if the person is already there. There are no Christians in whom the spirit of Christ does not dwell. If you, I mean, this is really clear. If anyone does not have the spirit, you do not belong to him. So what does it mean for us here, friends? Well, it means that we are not living this Christian life alone. That's what it means. We're not relying on our own resources. Because if you rely on your own resources, you will never make it. You didn't get into the spirit by your own resources. It was the work of God. You don't retain your position in the spirit by your own resources and by your own work. It is the work of God. The spirit is in you and he is there for a reason. 
mean, how many of you have ever wondered reading through the Gospels as we were going through, you know, Matthew and you just listen to Jesus' interaction with the disciples and you wonder, man, I wish Jesus was here. I wish, you know, I woke up one day and just talked to Christ and I found him, you know, somewhere up in the mountains praying and I would just go up and, and have a conversation with him. Wouldn't that be awesome? I would sin less, right? And then you go to John 14 and John 16 and, and Jesus says, hey, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I will be with you and not only will I be with you, I will be in you Christ is with you, friends. Christ is in you. And the Spirit is there to sustain you. That's why he is there. You you may be weak. You may be troubled today. You may be fighting. You may feel like you're losing some battles. But the Holy Spirit himself Friends, the same spirit who rested upon and empowered Jesus Christ for his earthly ministry to be our perfect savior, this same spirit resides in you. He resides in me. Christ does not leave us to our own resources. He gives us himself to sustain us and to work in us that which is pleasing to him. Praise the Lord. That is why if we, we, can, we need to go back to chapter 7 and, and, and dwell on chapter or verse 25. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit is in you. He's giving to you as a pledge. And he's giving to you for power. Now, what does the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ do when he takes up residence in you? And we come to verse 10, the spirit sustains you by renovating you. He not only just simply resides, but he begins a renovation process. Look at verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. What does it mean? Well, just like the new owner of our house who moved in, right, he makes his presence felt by changing things up. He's doing what he wants to do with that house. And so does the Spirit. So does God. And the very first thing that happens when the Spirit moves in is regeneration. He moves in. Notice what Paul says, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. What does that mean? Well, the body here. The body is a reference to our physical body. Dead because of sin means that our bodies, they remain under the curse of sin and as a result of the fall. In other words, us being regenerated from within or us knowing the Lord, right? Us belonging to this spiritual realm does not do away with the consequences of sin. People still die. And so that's what Paul says If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin. Friends, we all die physically because Adam sinned. Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a 
pastor and a theologian, but he was also a medical doctor. He said this, the moment we enter into this world, we begin to live and we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last you will ever take. Think about this. The moment you begin to live is the very moment you begin to die. Why? Because your body, as we studied, remember in Psalm 90 just a few weeks ago, your body will return to the dust. We all decay because of sin. Every single one of us. And think about this, those who preach that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make us healthy, wealthy, and and prosperous, they lie to us. They lie to you because that is not the message of the Bible. Paul is very realistic about his own experiences as, as Christian, and he wants us to be real as well. We get sick, we wear out, we grow old, we experience pain, and the hearts in our bodies, at one point, they will stop beating Why? Because of sin. Death is real because sin is real. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He's arguing for the work of the Spirit, that the Spirit sustains you. Even though this is real, the Spirit sustains you. How? The Spirit, he says, even though that is true, concessive, though the body is dead, let's affirm the truth. Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive. He does not stop there. Now, there's a debate here in verse 10. Um, Yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If you look down into your Bibles, this spirit here in verse 10, is it capitalized or not? Most translation teams, they made the decision to capitalize the word spirit, except for NASB. We have our NASB translation here that we prefer, um, but here, NASB translation, so, so they basically decided and they leaned towards the spirit referring to human spirit as opposed to the spirit, capital S, to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, of whom he, they, you know, Paul was just talking about prior to this, and again in verse 11, he will be talking about the Spirit. And, and for here, I'll give you a couple of reasons why I think there's good evidence here in the text that Paul is referring not to our spirit, cap, or small s, but to capital S, Spirit. Capital S, Spirit. The preceding eight verses, or nine verses, right? Or, or rather, eight Um, references to the Holy Spirit. They are all references to the Holy Spirit, not our spirit. In in verses 9 and 11, for instance, the references to the Holy Spirit, and it would seem rather strange for Paul to now completely refer to a different entity without qualifying it further, which brings us to the second reason. When Paul does speak about our spirit, human spirit, then he does qualify it with a uh, pronoun of some sort. Like in verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit. 
that we are children of God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And that is the only reference to our spirit here in chapter 8. The word Paul used to describe the spirit, look at verse 10, yet the spirit is alive. That is also um, a little misleading because he says not the Holy Spirit or the spirit is alive, but the spirit is life. The spirit is life, which fits better with the description that he already given us in chapter uh, 8, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life. And in verse 11, something he will go on to say in just a brief moment, that the Spirit will give life to your mortal bodies. So it just seems to to indicate here that it is not talking about necessarily the human spirit, but because of the presence of the Spirit, something is happening. The Spirit does something because of who the Spirit is. So what is he saying in verse 10? Let's kind of wrap this up. Here's what Paul is saying. The spirit is alive because of righteousness. Think about this. Even though in Adam you suffer the consequences of sin, there is yet another Adam. There is yet another Adam. The second Adam did not sin because he, unlike the first Adam, fully obeyed God. He fully obeyed the Father. And therefore, the second Adam, he is alone righteous. And because of his righteousness... Right in the middle of this world filled with death, this life of God springs up in our hearts because of the spirit who is given to us. And Paul's argument is this, even though you're dying physically, the spirit who resides in you is life and gives life. He is not discounting the fact that, man, we've been burying people recently, a lot. But he says, even though that is so, even though that is so, the spirit that resides in you also renovates you by regenerating you. The renovation starts with regeneration. Your inner self is born again and it is being renewed day by day. So that Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 4.16, therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Who renews this inner man? Well, he goes on in chapter 5, and he says that it is the Spirit who is given to us as a pledge of our inheritance. The Spirit gives us life and continues to transform us because we have been declared righteous in God. The Spirit gives life or is life because of righteousness, friends. Not your righteousness, not my righteousness, but because you are declared righteous through a foreign righteousness, the spirit is able to work, is able to resurrect you, and is able to further work out his fruit in you. Friends, if anyone is is listening and, and hearing me right now who is not a Christian, who is not a believer, do you see how miserable your situation is without this life? Your body is headed towards death because of sin, but more desperate is your heart because it is dead. You realize you have absolutely no power to live for God today or even to have 
uh, this prosperous outlook for the future. You have none of it without this life in you. But there is great news. There's great hope. Paul says that this new life is available. It is secured by Jesus Christ. His righteousness, not your own. Alive because of someone else's righteousness. And as we just celebrated and as we just heard, God is full of love towards sinners. And you're able to come and you're able to experience this new life. Friend, why would you trust your own goodness? Why would you trust your own effort? Christ's perfect righteousness can be credited to you when you trust him to be your savior and your Lord. It is very clear here. But as we continue to look on the implications of this verse, verse 10, how do I know if the spirit dwells in me and is renovating me? Perhaps you're wondering and sitting here and, and asking yourself, how do I know um, that, that he replaced his windows and doors? You know, how do I know that, that the kitchen cabinets that, that were there that, that were just terrible, how do I know that they're actually being replaced, repaired, What kind of renovation is taking place in me? Friends, the great mark of the spirit is life. You are new. And the spirit moves in you to make you look different. The spirit who is in you, the spirit of God, he works out in you new priorities. He works out in you new longings. He fills you with new love so that you can love the one who loved you first. The Spirit sustains you by drawing you to know more and more of the love of Christ so that you would then what? Reflect that love for him so that you would live in a manner that pleases him. That is the work of the Spirit. Prior to that, that was prior to this renovation, that wasn't your concern. Look what he says, Paul writes to Ephesians, for instance, and and he prays for the church in Ephesus, and he says, and I pray that, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. That's what the Spirit does. He leads you to meditate on the Word so that you may comprehend, understand a little more so that you may love, understand His love. And then he goes on in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. He says, listen, he's writing to the believers and he says, friend, You are now light in the Lord. There was darkness before. All the light bulbs were out. When the spirit moved in, he turned back power. You are now light in the Lord. So what is the consequence of this now? Walk as children of light. And then he says in verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. The life of Christ in us by his spirit is seen in us with new motivations, new priorities, new longings. We begin to reflect the new owner, right? The spirit even works out new regrets in us. What do I mean by that? 
Well, we begin to regret anything we find in us that, that displeases and offends him. Anything that grieves him. Church, this is the life of the spirit in you. The mark of the Christian is not merely like good behavior or, um, I don't know, religious works, whatever you want to put in there. Like church attendance, you know, serving, giving, um, I don't know, even passionate singing during worship. They can all be true of an unconverted person who is sitting here this morning, just as much as they are true of a converted person. The true mark of the Christian is the new life of Christ within, which is renewed, which renews you day by day. And that is what Paul looks to encourage these believers with. Beloved, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit because the spirit is in you. And if the spirit is in you, then the spirit is able to sustain you through sin and death. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. The spirit sustains you. By residing in you, verse 10, the Spirit sustains you by renovating you, by giving you life. And finally, I want us to look at verse 11. The Spirit sustains you by resurrecting you, by resurrecting you. Here's the final thing Paul says. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Friends, even though the effects of sin are real and the consequence of Adam's sin is death. And we will all experience it unless the Lord returns. This is not the final end. The minute we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, while our bodies are buried in the ground to return to dust. But the minute Jesus returns, God will give us new bodies prepared for new heaven and new earth. The same spirit who is in us, he is not done working when we die. The same spirit, right, who raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, Look what he says, but the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Who is that? That is the spirit of the father, the spirit of God. If this spirit dwells in you today, When you die, God will make your dead body alive so that you can be with your Savior forever. That is how he sustains you through it. This is, friends, our great hope. We're not confused about the afterlife, are we? Bible is very clear. Our final destination is none other than resurrection. That's where we're all headed. The bodies that are limiting us now, giving us trouble, and will ultimately fail Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, that they will put on immortality. They will no longer be the same bodies that we have right now. And that is our great hope. And that is all due to the Spirit's presence, the Spirit's work in us. That is why I want to go back to chapter 7 and again just meditate on verse 25. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Beloved, are you beginning to see the wonder of the gift of the Holy Spirit? He is the ultimate difference maker. Not only does he come to dwell in us, but he he regenerates and he renovates us and makes us new people for the Lord. 
And in the future, we have this glorious promise that even as our bodies are put down, we will be resurrected by the same spirit who resurrected Christ. So get this, not only do you have life now, you have eternal life in the future. The believer in Christ is sustained by the spirit through sin and death. This is God's gift to his children, only to those who belong to him. And friends, as is the entire goal of of Romans chapter eight, nothing, absolutely nothing will defeat the work of the spirit in you. Nothing. Not your weakness, not your circumstances, not even your lack of understanding, not even your sin that you are fighting against right now. Nothing will thwart God's work in you because what he began, he will perfect it. He will finish. And that is why Paul, that's where Paul takes this argument all the way through this chapter as we will see. And he will say something like, Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. It's a done deal. The difference maker is the spirit. If you have him, he's renovating you. And he will resurrect you one day. Friends, you have this great hope. God himself resides in you. And one day that renovation will be complete when that house will be torn down and a new one will be given to you fully in all of his glory. Why? So that you could see Christ face to face. Your bodies will be equipped in such a way that we can fellowship with our Lord and Savior whom we do not see right now, but we believe in and we worship. That we can worship him, see in him face to face. So this morning you might feel fragile and and weak. You might be engaged in a fierce battle with sin. You might be struggling with some debilitating disease or sickness. Some of our seniors here, you might feel like your body is wasting away with each month, with each week. But beloved, our, our trials will be over and the Ultimate promises, our bodies will be made new. Our bodies will be made new because of the Spirit who is in us. He will keep us. He will sustain us. He will strengthen us, and we will finish the course. That is the whole point of Romans 8. It is to give you assurance. It is to build you in faith. Trust Christ and keep going. Your future is sure if the Spirit is in you. He is the difference maker. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I I do pray that these eternal truths would resonate in our hearts and that, that you would impact us to think biblically and to live these truths out, to be encouraged day by day that we are being renewed, to continue to press on in faith, to trust that the Spirit is at work, and as the next set of verses will teach us to continue to put to death, The deeds of the body are sin, and that's what the Spirit does in us. And we thank you, Lord, for that. But help us to be sure that because of what Jesus did for us, because of his righteousness, the unrighteous 
could be justified and could be changed. We thank you for that. Help us to leave this place encouraged, full of faith, full of hope, full of assurance, and just excitement to go and proclaim this glorious gospel to those who are yet in their sin. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.